welcome to Koshian Cast, the podcast where not all cycling anime are created equal. My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. Hello. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. I am. I am excited by the fact that we are going to be discussion discussing the uh, the clearly disparate quality in most cycling anime. Apparently. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you'd think that they'd be able to just get it right, you know, uh, like Long Riders last season and eventually this season and Manami Kamakura Girls High School Cycling Club this season. You know, if you want to make a cycling show, just sort of copy Yawapeta. It's not yeah, that Yeah, I was hard. about to say, it's like literally, the format is right there. Just, just, Just take that and make it girls. That's fine. You can I, do that. I, wi- I wish somebody would, and, you know... <laughs> Well, concerning the fact that we have Baku on from last season, too. I know. Uh, something tells me we're not going to see the end of girls cycling. Well, yeah, we're not going to see the end of girls cycling, but used as a means to not tell sports stories. But anyway, we're getting distracted. Uh, today, March, we're, we're going to be wrapping up week three of the winter anime season, where we will call uh, cover all sports anime that aired between January 15th and the 21st. Uh, before we dive into Yawapeta, um, we did have one announcement, you know, uh, last week and uh, last season when we were talking about Long Riders and, and then with the first episode of Minami Kamakura, um, we noticed a weird trend with the apparent, the apparent relationship between cycling in Japan and the animal the alpaca uh and matt you said you were going to do some research and you did dig up a few things on this important topic didn't you yes i actually did figure out a couple things here first of all apparently the alpaca cycling store from long riders from last season and later this season uh that is actually a reference to a real cycling store that existed in Japan that, by the same name, though it is closed down now. Okay. Uh, not only that, but apparently there is a brand of cycling gear that goes, that's the brand name is Alpaca. Okay. And I think what these are is that they're made, that both of these series came up with the dumb joke of like having characters themed after Alpaca. Uh, basically as a pun regarding this not only that but the constant presence of alpaca alpacas are very hot in japan right now i don't know how else to put it. <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, it's kind of be- like it's kind of become the sort of generic girly girl thing to like hmm. it like alongside you know like you know girls like sweets they like flowers they like cute things alpacas are part of that and so there's a lot of... You can find so much alpaca merch because apparently the alpaca references do not stop here. I discovered apparently there is very heavy alpaca-themed merchandising uh, and theming in, uh, like, Love Live and, like, idol-type shows like that. So Wait, it's... Be- so what? I guess... Really? For- yeah, yeah. I have... Uh, I know people who are into Love Live. My sister's into Love Live and uh, I have a friend who's really into Love Live and, yeah, they were telling me... Yeah, uh, there's absolutely alpaca-themed things in that as well. So, again, I think these shows are trying to be like, oh, these girls, aren't they silly? They like alpacas. Well, you know, actually, that that brings to mind, I don't know, did you ever watch Polar Bears Cafe? No, I meant to. It's it's a great it's a great one, one of the better, you know, anime comedy is a hard thing to pull off, and it, it does it 
better than most. Um, but there's an ongoing joke that one of the main characters in it is a llama, and he, what? you know, and and a lot of the main characters work at a zoo as anim, anim, animals in a zoo, what? like that's their job. And the llama is constantly discouraged by how the alpaca is so much more popular than him, and all the girls want to like get pictures with the alpaca. Um, and no one wants to see the llama, and he's like, "We're cousins. <laughs> What's so good about him?" You know. So um, anyway, so that that is interesting that alpacas are on trend right now. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, we do have several shows to go through. This is going to be, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of excited to be back on a normal schedule. You know, we've got right. one episode of everything back to normal for for the rest of the season. So just we'll, normal length discussions. No need to rush through anything. Yeah, exactly. We're not... So we're just going to dive right into uh, Yawapeda episode of two. Uh, yes, episode two. Okay. So, this episode is largely about Teshima coming into his own as the manager of the club. Uh, Onoda's having some problems uh, getting like getting back into the swing of things, especially with the depressing leaving of Maki, uh, Makishima. Uh, Teshima manages to encourage him and is like, hey, it's okay if you need to take, basically, like, it's okay, you just go at your own pace. We also find out more about... Uh, Hokone's uh, team and all the members who are leaving there, and then the uh, who's replacing all the old the old guard essentially. Right. And we find out that from uh, Izumita is going to be the new captain, who was if anybody remembers, he was the big he was the he was the guy who had his ob- obsession with abs. Yeah. <laughs> and then there there are two other characters who I I don't remember if one of them was introduced one last season, and then the new guy. He is a former teammate of Teshima from back when they were in junior high. And then the episode ends with them beginning a race up Minagana Hill. This is actually like an official race, and this is kind of supposed to be Anoda's like kind of getting back into the swing of things. Right. Yeah, so as you referred to, the, the two new members on Hakone is uh, Kuroda. He, he was briefly in the second season of Yamapeda. Right. Um, cause he, they were showing how he like barely lost out to get a slot on the inter high roster. Right. Um, and... yeah, because he lost to, uh, Anoda's big rival from that match, whose name is escaping me. Uh, Minami. Right. Yeah. Which is confusing because of course we have another show called Minami, but <clears throat> yeah, yeah, he, uh, so he, he lost to Minami and then, uh, the other character, Ashikiba is sort of set up as the new big bad, I guess, for, uh, Sohoku to, to see in this next they race. Kinda... So anyway, right. well, because go ahead. Oh yeah. Uh, basically this race, uh, I think Akash, uh, Ashikiba, he was, uh, was he the only one from Hokone uh, who was in the uh, the race there? Because he's there kind of the spy on Anoda. Because Hokone, one of their big things that they talked about this episode or that the former captain discussed was like, yeah, we did everything lo- right. We should have won that. The only reason we lost is because Onoda was such a wild card mm-hmm. that there was no way we could have predicted him. Yeah, I'm not sure if they'll end up with him... They were the only, uh, Ashikiba was the only Hakone member they showed there, but like, okay. so, I mean, as, as far as I understand, the Minigiyama race, it, it's like a climb race, so it's a hill race, so that's why right. the only people from Sohoku that went was Inoda and Teshima, because they're both climbers, 
and Imaizumi went because he's an all-rounder. So I think he mostly just went to support Onoda. Um, right. So I'm not sure if Akone sent Kuroda as well, since he's also supposed to be a climber. Um, right. But I guess we'll find out next week. But I mean, we're, we're sort of digging into the end of the episode. But overall, what did what did you think about the theming? I, I thought this was a pretty solid episode. I really... You know, this is going to maybe sound be a little controversial... Teshima is such a m- more interesting character than the former captain, uh, Kinjo. Yeah. Because Kinjo was kind of, like, he was almost boringly sto- stoic. Well, yeah, he was perfect, you know? Yeah, he was basically the perfect uh, writer, and literally the only reason uh, why he wasn't the one who finished out the race for them last season was, wasn't he having an issue with his bike? Or no, was he there, got uh... injured. Oh, he did get injured, okay. Yeah. Sorry, it's been a little bit since I've seen the original Yalapeda, so... But... Yeah, and it's like, but he was just... He was so boringly perfect. Like, you know, he... Like, everything he did was just in the mind... You know, he had his own, like, sort of perfect logic for how he was going to settle things. He was so idealistic. Well, yeah, and and he, he didn't really have much development, you know? Right. He was just sort of... Um... The way the way he came across was more it's it's similar to the way that a lot of coach characters come across in these shows right. where he has this almost unbelievably deep voice especially for you know a 17 17 year old yeah um, exactly and he's unbelievably mature and confident and smooth and like stoic um and he just you know he just talks like this all the time yeah, and, and he just very... he knows how to do everything and you do not question his logic because he knows what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, I agree I, that Teshima is a more interesting captain um, because he's clearly had to work for it. Um, right. And I like the the fact that, you know, he didn't even make it onto the team uh, his first two years. So, he wasn't, like, he's going to be going into his senior year competing for the first time in the inner high. Um, so, right. it clearly, you know, it didn't come easy for him. Um and uh, there's there's a sequence that's uh, between Makashima as he's, you know, heading out to England talking to Toto from Akone, and right. he's describing Teshima, you know, surprisingly. He's saying, like, yeah, I mean, we have Onada, he's a good climber, but we also have Teshima, who's an idiot, but he's a hard worker. <laughs> and so I kind of like the logic that, like, Teshima is not supposed to be a naturally good cyclist like you know he's not actually that good at racing but what he does have is you know dedication which of course in these shows is all important um right but you know a lot of times with the characters who are just purely dedicated but aren't very good they're always kind of regulated to a side role uh like you know they kind of have their big moment where they finally get to enter the game you know where their dedication and hard work uh pays off yeah uh but you know they get their kind of one big moment like uh, yamaguchi is the classic example or at least the, the modern classic example from haikyuu uh because he finally has it he's finally perfected the uh the jump sur- or the uh the no spin serve yeah. basically the float serve mm-hmm. and uh you know but that's like his one thing that he can do yeah. but you know he's not very good otherwise but you know he's not really like that big of a member he has his place so it's really interesting to actually see a character like that in such a leading and important role for the series. No, I agree. I I also th- and I, thought it was it was oh, go ahead. yeah I thought it was interesting that 
when basically it was discovered that Teshima wasn't didn't have much in the way of natural instincts, they decided to make him a climber because they said like <laughs> being a climber that's the only one that requires no strategy because there's like there's no trick to climbing. Right. You just have to like be strong and have stamina and you know do this really hard thing because you can't you can't play off other people, you can't, you know, have other people block the wind for you, you can't strategize when you're going to sprint. You just have to, like, climb as hard as you can. That's the only way to be a climber. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and it's, like, it's kind of suited for him in that regard, especially because I did like that sequence where he was constantly timing himself, you know, he was trying to catch up to Makashima, you know, he could make it up that climb in about six minutes. You know, he was only at eight minutes. And there's nothing really that he's... Dis- you know, it's really discouraging, you know, the fact that, you know, he's still so far behind Makashima. But he's not really, like... He's not really, like, distraught over it. Yeah, no. Well, it's just kind of like he's just he's like, cool, I made it to eight minutes now. Like, yeah, yeah Makashima's at six. Like, that's still, like, a Herculean task I'm going to have to take here. But... You know, I'm making progress. Yeah. I agree. Um, was there anything else that really stood out from this one? Uh, the other thing I really liked was the little speech that Teshima gave Anoda, mm. which was, uh, I, I liked that, you know, again, a lot of these series, you know, they tend to value hard work over everything, you know, hard work in, like, lieu of anything. And the yeah. fact that Anoda's getting really stressed out about the fact that it's like, look, we're going to have to be champions. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I really like that whole thing where Teshima pull. You know, at first, you know, Teshima's like, you know, we are counting on you to kind of work as the climber. You know, you're going to be really valuable. You know, the more, and you know, the more pressure he's, uh, Anoda's getting here, you know, the worse he's doing. And then Teshima pulls back and you think this is going to be kind of the big scolding or, you know, the get it together scene. And Teshima's like, I get it, man. You don't know where you're, you are right now. You know, you got to, you know, it's okay to just take it easy for right now. No big deal. We got time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because that's true. Like, they have a long time before the inner high. So it's like, you know, it, it's better. If you need to rest now, you should do that. Don't force yourself to work. Yeah, don't beat yourself over the fact. It's like, you don't know where your standing is, and that's fine. That's like, hey, that's what I've had to do for, like, the past year or so. Mm-hmm. Like, no big deal, man. Just take it easy for now. Yeah, just figure out what you're comfortable with, and then, you know, you'll know what to do when the time comes. So, like, I, I did like that. I thought it was the kind of speech that I don't think Kinjo could have given in earnest. Yeah. Um. So, I, I liked it. O- overall, I thought the second episode was had a little more meat to it than the first one. Um... And I'm real. I'll admit, I'm really excited to actually see a race. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. It, it's been a while, you know. It, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Yamamushi Pedal does it because, again, it's been a while since we've seen the original series, and you know, I'm not really back into the swing of things yet. So yeah. I need to see how they handle races again and see kind of how it compares to my memories. No, I agree. Um, but one thing we are not unfamiliar with is March comes in like a lion. Um, so yeah, so we saw, uh, this week was episode 15, um, at the end of the last episode, uh, Ray was in the middle of his match against Shimada, and he realized that he'd sort of stepped into a trap, and he was actually in a, a disadvantageous position, um, and this episode picks up right there, uh, Ray is sort of struck and un- for a while, he's unable to respond when he, he realizes what a bad position he's in. Right. Um, 
But eventually he uh, gets himself together and he responds, but he's not able to make up the difference and he ends up losing the match. Um, he sort of tries to figure out what he did wrong and realized he was completely outplayed. And he ends up sort of really frustrated with himself and he runs home. Um, and then uh, after the match, Shimada separately, he talks to Mr. Smith for a while about the match and he also talks to Nakaido. And uh, Nakai, they, they discuss whether or not Ray should join their uh, training academy or their workshop together. Um, right. Then in the second half, uh, Ray, uh, he sort of falls apart a little bit. He's exhausted. Eventually, he decides he needs to go back to school because, if nothing else, he needs to graduate high school. Um, but he's really depressed. He's not able to focus anything. He He's able eventually to talk with his teacher and um, sort of talk through some of, some of his issues, but he's really not making much progress, and he, he's really not sure what his goal should be now. Um, and then the ep- episode ends with Shimada talking to Nakaido again in person, saying that even though um, they both want Ray to join their workshop, they have to wait for him to want it. They can't make him do it. Right. Uh, real quick, before we launch into discussion of this episode, I just want to clear this up. So this was episode 15? Wasn't this episode 14? Was it? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, well, I, I believe you. That's uh... Okay, I just don't want to confuse listeners here. Sure. Uh, okay, so anyway. Uh... Oh yeah, you're right. Episode 14, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're fine, dude. Uh... Okay, so I thought this was an interesting episode. I wasn't... There's not really, like, a whole... Well, I shouldn't say there isn't a whole lot of development. There is a lot of development for Ray. Um, I liked a lot of what they did with Ray. Like, I think my favorite moment during this episode is just this very intense... Uh, like, this whole, like, mental image Ray has in his head of how he's drowning. Like, how he can't even bear to be there anymore. Mm-hmm. But he's just sort of stuck suffocating... And just, like, with that really intense music and all of, like... Like, it's almost, like, unbearable to watch. And then it's totally interrupted with just, like, this very quiet cough. Like, the series actively cuts away from that scene, just, like, back into reality. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that sequence, like, that just that that edit there. Uh, how much it captures, like, the in-the-moment feeling. Like, this sort of... Uh, this sort of dichotomy between, like, how, like, people can basically interpret different, like, events in their life. Like, for example, you know, like, for Ray, this is a very, like, this is a very intense moment. You know, he's kind of getting wrapped up in it. But then, you know, you have this, just that quick cough to remind you, okay, this is reality. This is what's actually happening. Yeah, in reality, Shimada's just sort of like, okay, move it along, you know, let's, yeah, come on. let's not waste time here. So he just cl- clears his throat and tells him, it's okay, get yourself together, keep playing. Um, <laughs> which is a totally different perspective from what we see from Ray. You know, from Ray's perspective, yeah. all of his goals are falling apart. And from Shimada, he's like, all right, let's wrap this all up. Right. Come on, come on, it's it, it's game time. Yeah. Come on, I know you're losing, but we gotta we gotta get through this, man. Yeah. Uh, but I this was something we were talking about a little bit before. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about Shimada himself? Well, yeah. So one of the highlights we pointed out last week in episode thirteen um, <laughs> was was we we both thought it was great how 
um, until Ray sort of walked into this trap, he didn't actually look at Shimada's face. And we as the viewers didn't see Shimada's face either. Um, right. And so I liked that effect where, you know, he's sort of, he's such a simple and sort of possibly boring character that he doesn't show up until he does something dramatic. Um, and yeah, it, it was the same way here where I liked, you don't expect him to be anything but a stepping stone to Goto because the series right. sets up through Ray's own, you know, internal narrative that the real goal is Ray having his showdown with Goto. Um, but, you know, Shimada is also a person and he has his own goals and right. he does not plan to have someone who's less experienced than him just, you know, step over him like it's nothing. Um, and so you get to see this sort of shift where once Ray's goal falls apart and he gets destroyed, you see uh, him talk with Mr. Smith for a while about his own goals um, and how... Shimada, you know, he came into this match and his focus is on getting to play Soya. So like he also has another goal outside. You know, he was he he was focused on Ray and he was a little more experienced so he didn't underestimate Ray. But he his ultimate goal was to have a rematch with Soya because they had they had started playing together and then Soya sort of outpaced him and he wants to catch up again. Uh, and so I I liked the parallel where like, you know, everyone here has their own goals everyone here has their right. own mission at stake um and shimada's is just as important to him as ray's yeah yeah uh i thought it was interesting too I, he was he like shimada's a really like he again he's not he's kind of a deceptively interesting character because he also has a very he feels like he seems like he has a very pragmatic view on life. He's not necessarily, like, annoyed with Ray, because he mentions, like, during his discussion with Mr. Smith, like, hey, so, like, let me guess, he was a kid, right? You know, he's, as a kid, you know, he saw how Goto had, like, 20 games, and, you know, I only have, like, fine, and so he kind of just focused on that, right? Yeah. And Mr. Smith, Smith kind of freezes up, and he just kind of has this sort of, like, oh, my God, are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's actually what he did, like, this sort of, like, almost sort of this disbelief, like, I mean, I guess that was the case. It, it's just weird to actually have that confirmation. Mm -hmm. Like, there's something that's very... He seems very comfortable with himself in a way that it almost feels like a lot of other characters aren't. Yeah, I mean, Shimada knows where he stands. Like, he knows that he's not... He knows he's good, but he also knows that he's not elite. And he knows that he doesn't right. have much of a reputation. And he knows that, like, he's not someone that has a big name in the shogi world. Um, and he's not, like, super uncomfortable with it. Um, but there's also, at the same time, you'd expect a character like this to be sort of cold and calculating. Right. But no, that's just sort of the way he talks. It's clear that he's, like, during the match, he's trying to protect Ray and trying to, like, help him collect himself. And right. trying to help him learn. And then after the match, it's clear that, like, you know, he he was so devastating in part because he wanted Ray to come train with him and Ray to come, come learn, you know, with him and Nikaido and stop train, right. training by himself. So like his goals are always to like help build Ray up. And he's actually very thoughtful 
about what Ray needs as a person, um, but, you know, that it doesn't come across by his demeanor. Right. Uh, kind of going along with what you're saying here, I kind of want to touch on one other thing regarding that. Okay. Uh, with Nikaido, I feel like, like we didn't get full confirmation about what he meant by wanting to split Ray's head open. Yeah. I, I think I understand a little bit better now. Because okay. I don't, again, I don't think it was really meant to be a malicious thing. I think Nikaido understood that Ray was very, he's very set in his ways. And if he keeps going as he is, like if he doesn't experience this loss, this overwhelming loss, then he's never going to be able to grow mm -hmm. as a person. Because mm -hmm. Ray even acknowledges like, look, I didn't even see Shimada as anybody more than just another player. Like, I got so wrapped up in this stupid little feud I have with Goto that I wasn't even really consider. Like, I was seeing this almost as this grand stand against him that I forgot I I'm playing in a competition right now. Like, it's this isn't really about a petty, like, rivalry or anything. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't about, like, some sort of personal feud I have with Goto. And I think Nikaido realizes that. Maybe not, like... The extent of which, you know, the fact... I doubt he even knows about his whole situation, the whole situation between Goto and Rei. But I think Nikaido sees uh, Rei's stubbornness uh, being kind of a, a detriment to his character and that he needed somebody to bring him down. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Especially especially because I, I just... I love the fact we, we had discussed this before we started recording about how, uh, like... Shimada had Ray cornered right from the beginning of the match, almost. Mm -hmm. uh, like they because they have this whole sequence where they're going through each of their moves, and Shimada was just like, "Yeah, I would have just done this, this, this. Bam, you were done anyway. Like as soon as I moved this rook here, you were done." Yeah, uh, I and 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 what it did well because after the match ray wants to find a way that like oh he just made one stupid mistake you know he he very well could have won if he hadn't made one stupid mistake but what he realizes is when he goes back and talks through the match with shimada that no it wasn't one stupid mistake it was shimada trapped him completely and he was outmaneuvered and he got right. he like he didn't just happen to lose because of an error he got dominated um right this was a fundamental issue with his play style. Right. Yeah, like, there was no possible way for his play style to beat Shimada. Uh, yeah. So, I thought I thought that was great. Um, I thought it was really interesting. What The last thing I want to talk about with, with this is, what did you think of sort of his breakdown and him going back to high school? I, I, there was one thing I thought that was really interesting, and I think it's a very relatable subject for... I think not only for high school students, but I think for also for anybody in college and even college graduates, I mean, myself included, is this notion, you know, Ray mentions that the reason he wanted to move out, you know, the reason why he wanted to become a professional shogi player was because, you know, he wanted to feel like an adult. He wanted to be an adult, and he thought being an adult meant he could move, you know, he could uh, sustain himself, he could support himself. Mm -hmm. You know, and like, you know, he could pay his own rent, you know, he didn't have to live by anybody else's rules. And again, you know, he has more of a reason for that than just, yeah, you know, screw my parents, I don't want to live under their reign yeah. anymore. But, you know, he has this kind of notion that, you know, that's what being an adult is all about. Right. And, you know, and rooted in that is that whole thing. It's like, well, if I'm an adult, then I never have to cry again. Yeah. Uh, but I, I thought that that discussion was incredibly relatable 
like pretty much to anybody because I think that's a stage that any everybody goes through at their life at some point, regardless of like you know Ray's experiencing it a little bit earlier than I think a lot of other people do, but it, I think that's a very uh, like a relatable mindset like this whole. Like, you know, I just because I moved out of my parents' house, just because I'm, like, supporting myself, that doesn't actually make me an adult. Mm -hmm. And that, like, he has this discussion with his, uh, with his teacher, just like, who even mentions, like, Ray, you may not be suited for school, like, for high school. That's okay. Like, you may need to go back and move with your parent, with your guardian, with your legal guardian, because it's too, you have too much on your plate right now. Yeah. And I thought that was, uh, I, I guess it was kind of a, uh, almost a physician heal thyself moment. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I, I, I thought it was, it was good too. I thought it was, it's sort of funny to see the juxtaposition of Ray being, you know, dealing with these adults in this sort of high stakes professional shogi world. And then, you know, he just sleeps it off, he's exhausted, he's depressed. Eventually he decides, like, well, you know, I did say I was, I'm still in high school, I might as well go to school, I don't have anything else to do. He shows up at school, and it's like nobody even knows who he is, but he just he doesn't really belong. He ends up in P.E., and he doesn't know how to play <laughs> basketball. He's totally <laughs> disoriented. Um, right. And it's like, yeah, like, everyone else is having these high school experiences and, like, growing and developing together, and you're just off by yourself. Um, and so I think he's like right. forced to notice that he's not actually moving forward. Like he thought that all this, um, shogi stuff would help him move forward, but he's not. Yeah. Um, real quick, I just want to bring up as well. Uh, I think what this is all building up towards is I think he's going to end up moving in with the sisters. I think that's honestly what they're building towards because he won't go back to live with his guardian. Yeah. And I think he's going to realize after all of this that he's going to end up, uh, you know, he needs to live with somebody. So he's going to end up actually just, I think that's where the series is going to end. I hope so. Because, you know, <laughs> like, it's just so clear that he's mentally and emotionally so much better off when he's with his, you know, that that family. With his quote-unquote sisters. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I agree. Um uh, just and just before we wrap up, there's just a just a weird little thing I want to point out. I kind of am amused by the fact that the that because they uh, we've never really discussed this too much, but every uh, every half of an episode is uh, referred to by chapter. Yeah. And the uh, the first half of this episode that was chapter it was called Blinding Darkness, and I thought it was really funny that it ended with Mr. Smith talking baby talk to his new kitten. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, that was a little... Yeah, it was just really funny seeing that, uh, like, hearing all this, like, oh, who's the cutest little thing? You know, making kissy faces at his little kitten and having that title card, uh, Blinding Darkness. Yeah. Like, pop up, like, Blinding Darkness End. Yeah, that was a little disorienting. <laughs> Speaking of uh, disorienting, how about this segue? You want to talk about All Out? Yeah, sure, let's do it. Okay, so that's on me. Uh, this one was dealing with uh, Issei, who I always refer to in my head as a uh, horn hair. Yep. Uh, and uh, the, this entire episode was really about the, his conflict with his brother. Uh, he basically he survives off his brother, like his because both of their parents are dead. So Issei's brother supports the two of them, and uh, Issei can't really make it to the training camp because it costs money, and his brother doesn't have the money to give him, you know, to do that. 
he's slightly abusive to Issei as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Issei, deci- uh, Issei has a talk with Ibumi who effectively tells him, like, hey, I'll pay you for their training camp. It's fine. I've got the money for it. And we learn that Abumi has his own issues with his mother basically not being present, and she uh, he, she was just giving him money for food every day, and he was just saving it up. Right. And it ends with uh, Issei... It actually kind of has a non-resolution, because we don't really get to see that moment where Issei is like... Hey, bro, I'm going to the training camp whether or not you want me to. Yeah. Um, but it kind of ends with him just sort of going into the uh, his apartment with his brother at the very end. And they're, we're kind of like, I guess we're supposed to assume that they uh, that Issei's just going to go ahead and go to the training camp now because he has the money for that. Well, he has the money for it, but you also had the scene right before that with his older brother who was, you know, looking through the fact that Issei had thrown away all his rugby gear and he was sort of right. feeling bad about that and thinking back to the time where he begged to adopt his brother um, so that they could stay together. And, you know, clear, right. clearly somewhere along the line their relationship soured and he became kind of, like you said, emotionally abusive towards Issei. Um, but he sort of remembers how, how things started. Um, okay. But, no, I think it was pretty clear that they had made up and also because at the end um his brother asks you know who who's that guy talking to a boomy and he says is like he may look rough but he's my teammate you know and even even though he'd insisted he was quitting the team clearly he's not real quick uh, about that scene i actually made a quick note about that i thought that was kind of funny was that uh the translation said uh says who was that thug yeah but if you listen to him uh to the brother he clearly says who's that yankee Uh, (laughs) that's funny (laughs) Yeah, I kind of think, I, I believe that's uh, meant to be slang about how Americans are violent. I thought well, that was just kind of funny. I don't know if it's that he's violent. Is that, like, Kazabumi dyes his hair blonde. Well, there's that, too. So, like, he's trying to, you know, put on a, an American look or, a, or right. whatever. But, um, yeah, overall, I, w- I wasn't sure totally what to think of the episode. Um, I mentioned to you at the time that it had a little bit of an after-school special vibe to it. Yeah, and I can see where you're coming from there with, like, the whole, like, oh, two brothers, you know, their parents are died, and the older brother, you know, he's just trying to take care of his younger brother, you know, do what's best for him, but they don't get along, mm-hmm. and now they do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, and especially, you know, you kind of have that ham-fisted, like, no, I like that flashback where he's like, no, I have to take care of my brother, he's so young, yeah. and he, I can't just send him off to be with some family he doesn't know, I'll take care of him myself. Yeah. And, you know, remembers how their relationship used to be so strong, and now... Now it's not. Yeah. So uh, uh, that that aside, what did you like about it? Okay, what I like about it is that I appreciate the fact that we have a sports series, at the very least, that is making clear what this team means for each of the different players. Yeah. Uh, like, because, again, a lot of sports series have this sort of thing, you know, there's this sort of this assumed camaraderie between all the different members. And, you know, we've kind of learned, like, through each of these different, like, vignettes, like, all of these different uh, characters in each of their different stories, that the rugby team means something different to everybody beyond just, I want to play uh, football or rugby. Sorry, I was letting some Ice Shield 21 sink in there <laughs> with uh, with my friends. You know, it's like, we just want to, you know, we want to all be the best together and we all want to win together. And it's just like, you know, for Issei, this is a place where he gets to hang out with his friends. Like, he wants to still be a part of that and he doesn't really have much else of another life. 
it's kind of the same thing with Abumi to an extent. Like, he loves to play the sport, but he likes, you know, he wants to be with his teammates because, frankly, he doesn't have much of a home life himself. Yeah, no, and I thought it was interesting. I don't know if it had been revealed or alluded to earlier, the fact that Issei and Abumi were both, you know, when they when they started high school, they were both kind of delinquents. Um, right. But despite that, Hachi recruited both of them and said that they would have fun playing rugby. So, like, he was someone who didn't mind the fact that they were kind of... Uh, they cut a certain impression that they were trying that they were trying to intimidate people Hachi wasn't intimidated and he still wanted to play rugby with them so like it was a place where they're they were valued for who they were and that was the only place they had that feeling um so yeah no I I really I enjoyed that I enjoyed seeing another side of a boomy where yeah like he's kind of a crazy person and he's a little bit of a jerk sometimes and he's kind of like has an uncontrollable temper but he also like really cares about his friend and you know is furious at the idea that Issei would quit because he's like you know do you remember like where we came from like we were not in a good place and the rugby team right. like, helped us and you know we owe it to ourselves to see this thing through um I, I think it's also kind of interesting as well that this is a series that's kind of addressing sort of an undercurrent that tends to get ignored in a lot of sports series, which is kind of the kind of the lower aspect versus like the the lower class versus higher class ex aspect like because a lot of the best teams tend to come like it's always very subtle in a lot of these where it's like a lot of like the best teams are very wealthy and well off uh -huh. and you have the uh, you have kind of like the the sort of everyman team that's able to rise up against them and it's like I kind of it's kind of interesting to see a sports series that's kind of it's sort of like head-on addressing that mm -hmm. well yeah like they're actually like yeah these are all people who come from very tattered and like like decidedly low-class families well i don't know if that's necessarily the case economically because it doesn't appear that Ibumi has a disadvantaged economic background Right. Um, it's just that, like, he's coming from a place that is emotionally difficult, like, where his, his parents aren't physically around Present. to support him. So, for whatever reason, they're not coming, like, a lot of these characters are not coming from healthy homes, you know, whether that's right. economically or emotionally. Um, but I, I agree, like, there, there was a scene where Abumi was talking to Issei and he's like, dude, let's just be real. Neither of us are going to college, you know. Yeah, we, yeah, I love we, that. We we like if we're going to have fun, we have like if we're going to have fun, if we're going to play rugby, we have to do it now and we have to give it everything we got because after this, we're, we we don't get we don't have... Yeah, we don't have that to look forward to. Like we're just we're going to you know we're both going to be working after we graduate. Yeah, it's like we we're not going to have our, our our idyllic college days. We're just we're probably going to end up working probably construction jobs. Well, I don't know about um, that, but like whatever whatever they're going to do, they're this right. is their chance. Sorry, I don't mean to disparage construction jobs. I just mean in the sense of like the type of higher paying work that would, you know, suit their uh, their own talents effectively. Right. Um uh, and, you know, I, there's something, there's a recurring theme in here that I kind of like, and I'm sorry to bring this up, and I know you're sick of hearing me talk about it, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of One Piece. Okay. Uh, just in the sense of that these are all, one of the things I really like about One Piece, for example, is the fact that uh, all the main crew, um, separately, they're all very broken, tattered people, 
But as a group, you know, they're kind of like a family. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the same sense I'm getting with All Out a little bit, that these are, like, everybody on this team has their own problems. Like, these are all very, these are all people who have been kind of beaten down almost. But the team kind of gives them some form of purpose. Yeah, you keep seeing that with these characters, uh, whether it was Keita last episode or Issei this episode, where when they're separated from the team, they just think about how much fun they had together. And you're like, did you really have fun together? Most of the scenes you have are just, like, working out and being exhausted and having a tough time. But, like, they have that camaraderie that they don't have anywhere else in their life. And right. so you see it's definitely filling a hole for, for a lot and, of these and, people. And, and... It feel it means a lot more to me in this series than it does in something like uh, like Haikyuu, which you know I still you know always love Haikyuu. We'll always adore that series, but you know it's like they have this camaraderie and but it's like yeah they're all just kind of playing on the same team. They all love playing together. There's not really but it's like you know when we, when they go home, do they really have like a miserable life? Well, it's Probably it's not, not you you have no real reason to believe in Haikyuu that the volleyball team is helping them find something they can't find in their own home. And that's what you're getting in all out is like, these are people who need the rugby team, not because they need to win or they need to be the best, but because they need a home and they need, they need a, uh, a family that their own family can't provide. So, yeah. So as, as sort of Hallmark channely as that can feel sometimes, I think overall, I'm glad that a show like this exists. Absolutely. And you know what? I'm just going to throw this out here right now. This is the show that I kind of wish Cheer Boys had been. Yeah? In, in, what, in what way? Well, just in the sense that, because Cheer Boys was kind of trying to do something like that, where, you know, you have all of these different people oh, yeah. who kind of come into the club and they find their own meaning and, you know, what cheering is, but... You know, you don't know any most of these people. You don't really get to see any of their lives. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't... You know, you don't really even understand why certain characters feel the way they feel. But, you know, we get that in All Out. Yeah, I agree. I, it's it's really well done. The pacing is good. And I'm, I'm consistently surprised by how much I enjoy it, honestly. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, so moving on to a show that I am not surprised by how much I enjoy or don't enjoy, as the case may be, is uh, right. Tiger Mask. So we've got Tiger Mask Please. episode 15. Um, Correct. Thank you. Yes, I did label the episode <laughs> correctly this time. Thanks. Um, no problem, buddy. And uh, so th- this follows up where last episode Tiger Mask was invited to uh, a match in the Max Dome, the new GWM yep. arena in Tokyo. And he finds out that his opponent is Mr. Bigfoot, who is an American wrestler who is, like, nine feet tall and 530 pounds. Um, And so he's effectively just a giant. So uh, then separately, you find that there's going to... Before the Tiger Mask match, there's going to be a a women's double match uh, between... So we, we had Payne and Queen, who were these two GWM wrestlers that were introduced in episode 13. And they're going to fight a Japanese pair of female wrestlers called, wait for it, Candy Pair. <laughs> because they're sweet and there's two of them. I don't know. Um, yeah. And so they, they eventually have the match. It uh, Candy Pair gets dominated. Like, uh, they... It's actually animated pretty 
well, pretty well for Tiger Mask. Um, and you get to see Candy Ma- Candy Pear uh, get physically crushed uh, by the GWM wrestlers. Um, and then they got to uh, Tiger Mask and Bigfoot. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Bigfoot. He does have a Thank proper you. name. Um, Who's his full name? Yeah, exactly. And uh, Tiger Mask almost gets trapped. He uh, Bigfoot rolls over on him, but he's able to break out. Uh, eventually, uh, Tiger Mask is motivated by seeing Rory in the audience. Um, and when Mr. Bigfoot charges at him, he throws him into a pole and wins. sorry sorry i'm just really amused by the fact that that's like there's no other way he could have beaten him yeah yeah so do you want to talk about why mr bigfoot is great (laughs) okay so mr bigfoot is introduced to us uh by so they're having their big interview scene with mr bigfoot and he go walks up to a tree a fully grown tree and bear hugs it and completely and utterly destroys it. Yeah, he just breaks a tree in half with his arms. And then uh, when asked if he has any messages, he uh, his response is that he's very hungry. He wants a very tender steak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Miss X, of course, has to tell him, no, you idiot. I mean, for tiger mass. Right. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing that we joked about after we'd seen the episode was that, so Mr. Bigfoot is a masked wrestler. And he wears sort of this, like, tribal mask with these, like, dreadlocks coming out the back. Um, And yet he's nine feet tall and over 500 pounds. So, like, can he really hide his identity? He's got, like, how many people have his proportions? (laughs) Yeah, seriously, like, how does his mask actually conceal any form of identity? Like, literally, you see him walk down the street, you're going to be like... Hey, there's Mr. Bigfoot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Especially because he doesn't even do anything to hide his hair. Yeah. Like, that would be the one thing you could do. Yeah. Possibly. But no, he has a... Like, he just wears, like, a face mask. Yeah. It was, uh... Um, It was was something special. (laughs) Uh, like, Mr. Bigfoot is really more the type of character I would have expected to see more in, like, the first third of the series that we never got. These sort of weird, like over-the-top, goofy type of yeah. uh, fighters. Like, all the GWM wrestlers were presented as evil. Um, right. But, you know, now we get Mr. Bigfoot. He's just goofy, you know? Right. He, I, he was kind of more the level of camp I was expecting from Tiger Mask. Kind of stupid, but not, like, still kind of fun to watch. Not just sort of groan-inducing. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, our, our introduction with the GWM wrestling team was, you know, Red Death Mask, who wants to make your face bleed and then kill you. Like, right. you know, it wasn't goofy, like, I'm big and I like eating steak. You know, <laughs> this is more <laughs> my speed. <laughs> right. Um, there was one line I really loved uh, from uh, from uh, Tiger Mask, which was, like, his whole strategy was, like, okay, so he beats his opponents in five minutes. He has no stamina. No. He beats his opponents. All that says is that he beats his opponents in five minutes. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, clearly he's just operating on the assumption that, you know, if he's that big and that strong, there's no way he can keep up with me, you know? Right. But then he yeah, just but I, does. I, mean, I do understand that, and really that's the way you have to approach a giant fighter like that. But at the same time, it's like, you can't you can't count on that. So what, what do you think uh, of... Uh, 
Tiger Mask slash Nauto's heavy emphasis on the Ruri pairing now. Yeah, yeah I kind of thought it was funny that, like, out of all the characters who were there watching him, you know, it's like, the fact that Ruri was watching him, you know, it's like, no, that's the one, like, that's the reason. Like, that's the reason he needs to fight. Yeah, exactly. To keep going. And it's kind of a weird tradition I'm noticing spring up in a lot of anime with, like, character. You know, you have to have your big inspiring moment where you where the character has to think back on, like, all the people they're trying to protect and who they're fighting for. And then the last one always has to be their romantic interest. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can work other times it can really ring hollow like actually one of the more recent dragon ball z movies does this with uh with uh when goku's trying to fight off beerus the the egyptian cat god type character and he thinks like his final one is thinking of chi chi and it's like really man you care that much about chi chi uh (laughs) well he ought to but like he certainly never showed it in the show yeah, exactly. It's like, that was kind of the same feeling I got from uh, Naoto thinking of Ruri, like, in that moment of, like, no, Ruri's watching me. Like, I have to keep fighting for her. And it's like, you guys kind of just established this romantic tension. Yeah, exactly. Like, two. you've talked five times and gone on one pseudo-not-actually-date. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that was actually something I had thought about last episode as being a weakness of the series that still kind of applies here. We don't really know Naoto. Oh no, I mean we got a little bit of his background, but you don't know him. No. Yeah, like you don't know him at all. Like you kind of know Tiger Mask as like a figure, but you don't really know Naoto all that well. You don't really know what drives him beyond just wanting to beat up Yellow Devil, Yellow Devil because his mentor, because he broke his mentor essentially. Yeah. Like, but there's not really anything else to Naoto but that motivation. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of why this whole thing with uh, this whole pairing with Rory falls apart because you don't really know what Rory means to him beyond just she's a girl who may kind of like me. Yeah, exactly. Um, was there was there anything else that stuck out about this one? Uh, I am actually going to disagree with you with uh, your statement on the candy pair. Okay. Uh, thing. So there was something that I noticed that was really distracting. Was that when uh one of this pair uh, her name was uh, Milk <laughs> when she's getting beat up I believe by pain yeah. and they're showing her constantly getting need uh like need in the gut by pain they keep reusing the same animation and normally I wouldn't care whatever you know they got you know they're on a budget whatever um uh, but they keep doing this thing where. When she gets every time she gets need in the stomach, they do a very quick like half second cut to the shot of like the close up shot of the knee actually hitting her in the gut. And I, maybe maybe it's just me. I noticed this immediately, and it was super jarring because it's literally like you keep getting like this elongated shot shot of like the of like of like the knee to the gut, and just like but it only lasts for like a second. It's almost like a jump like. It's almost, like, subliminal when you see it. Yeah. I was mostly Uh, thinking of, I liked the pain lariat when she actually, when she first knocks down milk. Like, I thought that was a really effective shot. 
Um, that's fair. And, and I know, like, and I and I enjoyed the the suplex that Queen did to like intercept the other Candy Pear team member. That's fair. I thought those were cool. Like, yeah, overall, you know, it's nothing to write home about. But I thought there were right. some cool shots in there, considering uh, it was a second. Yeah, sorry. I thought it was slightly interesting that apparently this is sort of inspiring Haruna to maybe wanting wanting to get into being a diva. Yeah, that wasn't clear. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't clear. They, it's actually really funny. Uh, maybe not like that funny, but I thought it was kind of amusing that Harna starts trying to do weight training on her own. Like, she's trying to do, like, bench pressing. And it's like, guys, this is a show directed towards kids. Don't encourage them to do bench presses by themselves. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's dangerous. <laughs> that's... That is incredibly dangerous. You can crush your head if you're not careful. Yeah. You can get caught. You can suffocate. Well, yeah. Uh, at, at, but yeah, yeah. The uh, I don't know. I think it's just sort of a stereotypical like, this is what exercise looks like image. But yeah, I know, I know, I know. They didn't mean anything, and I mean, really, what kid in Japan is gonna have like access to like a giant weight set like that? I mean, but... I'm sure plenty do, but you know, who knows? Um, yeah, maybe I don't know. Uh, so speaking of things we don't know, there's a lot we don't know about why Minami Kamakura High School Girl Cycling Club is the best show of the season. Um, <laughs> why don't you tell us, Matt? Uh, I don't know if I would say the best show. <laughs> it's a show. It is a show that is airing currently. Okay. Every Saturday night. Yeah. Okay, so this episode has Tomoe and Hiromi... Uh, they're doing a tryout of all the different clubs. They first try out the basketball club, which they don't like, and then they tr- go on to do try the uh, the soft swimming club, which is basically just a kind of a swimming appreciation. Girls who want to play around in water, whatever. Yeah. And uh, Hiromi uh, almost drowns, apparently. We'll talk about that later. And is saved by uh, Higa, who is the short-haired girl... From the previous from the previous episode, the girl who with the flat tire, yeah. who's apparently part of this club, they go to the nurse's office, at, you know, to kind of get uh, Hiromi looked at. There, they also run into Fuyune, and they all decide to go to Fuyune's meeting that she's having with a mystery person for reasons. Yeah, and we find out they go with her. They go with her up to this uh, this hillside cottage, basically. It's on, like, the top of a hill, and they find out that her grandmother is staying there, and she just is going there to visit her. They discover that the grandmother was apparently part of a cycling club back in the day, uh, and so right then and there, Furune decides, hey, I want to start up the cycling club again, and you all girls will join. And they're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what happens. Uh, what happened in the AOP short? Oh, they explain to us what a helmet is and what type of helmet you should choose. Uh, spoiler alert, it is one that fits your head. <laughs> I, I love this show. Oh my it's so dumb. Oh, man. Okay. I, I almost love how unabashedly... like. If I were a girl, I think I would be really offended by this show. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Because of just how naturally ditzy all of the girls are. One line that just got me so hard was in the discussion with uh, with Kuyune's grandmother. Is Hiromi is like, wow, 40 years? Bicycles have been, along that, been around that long? Yeah, exactly. Like, I... 
How do you not know that? Yeah. I mean, this is the girl who didn't know that bicycles were operated by pedals. Uh, right. So she clearly just has some kind of brain disease. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's there's a lot to dig into with this one. Um, and we can kind of jump around a little because Lord knows the plot doesn't matter in this show. Yeah, God no. Um, so I just want to sort of address the concept of the episode. So as I understand it, they like all the girls in the school uh effectively got a day off to wander around the school and explore all the different clubs because at Manami Kamakura you are required to join a club that's just you know a requirement of being a student okay fine which I, yeah i don't think that's actually terribly uncommon in japanese high schools because you are kind of expected to join clubs you know they have a shorter school day so you can actually have time to you know partake in other activities sure you know and but it's not necessarily required at all schools at this school it is so right. so they give yeah, they, that's fine, yeah right. so they give them a day where they're allowed to meet with all the different clubs and decide which one or ones they want to join um but what i liked was that so uh hiromi and tomoe d- decide to uh go through and explore these clubs together and they start with the basketball team like, right. <laughs> like you you don't need to eliminate every club. You, if you've never played basketball, you don't need to try I out for the basketball team. There are plenty of other clubs, girls. Yeah. Like, go try them out. And like, I love that the reasoning is, oh, we should just try all the clubs that we don't want, don't think we would like first. But why try and, them? Like, are you required? Yeah, exactly. And like, so <laughs> that's the question. If the statement is like, if you are required by the school to visit every club okay then that makes sense um but but if that's true they visited two clubs and then skipped off as soon as fiune said hey want to do a thing (laughs) i hadn't even quite thought about it like that the only clubs they visited were the two clubs they least wanted to join and then they just left the school grounds (laughs) um So I I want to circle back real quick because the other thing I thought was interesting is, you know, they they make this statement like, okay, clubs are required. So that means there's a lot of clubs and they all have to work really hard to recruit new students. Okay, that makes sense. Um, But then they go to the basketball club and what do they do? They throw these girls who've never played basketball into a scrimmage. They have the actual basketball team play against the two girls who've never played before, and they triple te- team Hiromi and say, "Try and get out of this first year." <laughs> like, is that your recruitment technique that you triple team new people and make fun of their inability to play basketball? <laughs> I think what they're trying to highlight here is how, you know, intimidating these other sports are. Because they're not nice. They're not gentle. I guess. But it's like, but that's not how a club would actually work. Yeah, what team like, would recruit you? Tool. Yeah, exactly. So I, I loved that. Like, as if they're comparing that to the notional uh, cycling club. And then, yes, the, I... the light swimming club, I just need to mention this quickly, is great. I've never heard that term. I love the idea that there's a swim team and then a light swim team who's just, right. like, girls who like swimming but don't like competing. Um, so that, right. that was pretty funny. I, I... It, it's fine. I just have never heard of it before. Right. And one thing I want to talk about uh, during that club, and this got me really hard, was the fact that 
So Hiromi is apparently not. It's like this is the light swimming club. They don't care if you swim. Yeah. She's still pretending like she's swimming. <laughs> yeah, she pretends that like she knows how. She's doing like she's actually walking, but she's doing like swimming strokes, and she's like, huh? And like Tomoe even mentions like, huh? That's an interesting way she's doing it. And then she looks down and she's like, oh well, that's because she's walking. Not only that, but while doing this, she trips. And even though it's, like, chest high water, she still almost drowns. Yeah, I didn't totally understand. Like, was there a <laughs> drop-off? I don't think there was. She just somehow started drowning even though she could touch the bottom. Because she could touch the Eventually, he, and... like, Higa swam over and picked her up and pulled her out. And then she, like, <clears throat> just stood there with her feet on the bottom of the pool after being <laughs> rescued. Like, <laughs> Because I guess what they're trying to do is because they have to have an excuse for Higa to meet the girls. Oh yeah, exactly. And to, to get to get to get together with these girls again, so that then they also have an excuse to go to the nurse's office, which apparently is where Fuyune is. Yeah, and Fuyune is in the nurse's office because her muscles are so sore from biking one time that right, she, but... which you know, okay, that's fine because like if you're not used to it, you get sore muscles. What I like, right. what what blew me away with that is that she's like, "Didn't you guys get sore muscles?" And Hiromi's like, "No, I feel great." It's like Hiromi, <laughs> you learned to ride a bike yesterday. <laughs> There's, you know, at the very least, Fuyune understood how the pedals work. I know. Like, how is Hiromi super comfortable with bikes now? Are we not going to address the fact that she doesn't know how to ride a bike or didn't five days ago? Um, yeah, so that, that blew me away. And then they're just like, Fuyune basically says, Hey, I have a meeting at a place with a person. Come with me. And they're like, well, you make a great argument. Let's go with oh. you. Can we talk about, real quick, about that incredibly, weirdly dark commercial break transition? Where they get to the house, and they look inside, and they see this old woman laying, like, hunched over in a seat, like, seemingly dead. Well, Hiromi assumes that she's dead. And then they're like, oh, JK, uh, Fuyune's grandma just, like, sleeping in chairs. Yeah. It's like, what what was the joke there? Right, like, it's like, why are you pretending that this old woman is dead? Yeah, I don't know. But, uh, no, it turns out she's not. It's She's just sitting in the uh, refurbished uh, cycling club room. Right. Uh, I, I didn't phrase that well. Do you want to just describe what, you know, Fiune's... So Fiune's grandmother is the principal of the school, and they yes. discover some things about her background. Well, no, I thought it was the father who was the... Her grandfather who was the principal. No, she was no, just... she's the principal. She is the principal? Yeah, oh, okay, it's a girl's enough. school, Matt. All right, my bad, my bad. Okay, so apparently that was kind of, I guess, their storeroom? I guess that's kind of... Like, that was kind of their meeting room yeah. was just this Who's cottage. Who's Oh, uh, sorry, uh, Fuyune's grandmother and their cycling team. Well, not really their cycling team... It was like, it was a group of girls that used to ride bikes together to kind of go out and see the world, sort of. Because it was a very big thing back in like the 70s for Japanese cycling, you know, cycling across Japan was kind of a big, like, almost like rite of passage in Japan back in the day. And what happened was, 
but the the club disbanded. Why? Because technology. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because you know, back in my day, we used to enjoy slow rides to uh, see the sights. But then planes and trains existed, so no one liked bikes anymore. <laughs> Basically, it's like. Because it's like, you know, you know, back in the day, bicycles used to be the main mode of transportation. But then with all these newfangled trains and airplanes, people don't need bicycles anymore. And it's like, you mean to tell me that nobody cared about, like, like just going out and cycling for fun, going around and seeing the sights? That's something that people still do. Yeah. You mean to tell me nobody has, like, nobody kept this club going just because everybody, like, hates cycling now because they can get from place to place? That there's nobody in the world who wants to do, kind of, like, be a little bit more outdoorsy. That's absolutely a thing. Yeah. Oh. I, I don't know. The, it, it was kind of funny that that all concluded with, you know, Fiona realizes that her grandmother was in a cycling club at this high school back in the 70s. And then Fiona says, okay, I will restart the cycling club. And, yeah. And then all the girls separately say, I will join the cycling club with you. Yeah. Without any and thought. Then she's, and then the grandmother's just like, oh, okay, well then here's the key to the room. Have fun, girls. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, she's, the, the, the grandmother spent all this time refurbishing this abandoned club room so that she could um, relive the memories that she had had with her friends and, like, have a place to herself where she could read and listen to music. But she's like... Oh, well, you said you wanted it, so now it's yours, and you have a club room, now it's yours. The end. Right, like, there's there's no journey here. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no, like, you know, I could almost see how this could work. Like, you know, the like, uh, like, Hiromi meets Tomoe, and they decide, hey, you know what, we're having fun exploring Kamakura, riding around. Why don't, it's like, we don't like any of these other clubs that we're seeing. We're not seeing anything here we really like. Let's try forming our own girl club. And they think, hey, we had that one ride with, like, Higa the other day. Let's see if we can get her to join the club. And they have to go through a process trying to get her to join the club. Yeah. And then they ha- then they meet up with Fuyune. And then they're like, okay, well, Fuyune is kind of like the snobby rich girl, you know. But she seems to have some interest in doing this. Let's see if we can get her to join the team. And then they have this whole story with her trying to get to join the team. And then they're like, I don't know, we have uh, we have the next, we have the foreign girl who's going to join the team. We already know that thanks to the opening. Yeah. But, you know, and then they're like, okay, now we need to get a club room. And yeah, you exactly. can do something with the grandmother who doesn't want to give it up because it's like, I don't have any confidence that you girls are really that serious about this. Sure. No, it all just happened and they handed it to him for no reason. Yeah, basically. And it's like, I don't even know where the story is going to go from here. Like, and not in a good way. There's no story here. Right. So the the last two, two quick things I want to bring up on this um, is, one, that... Fiune's grandmother insisted that it was not a cycling club, but it's a bicycle club. <laughs> because you shouldn't limit yourself to cycling. There's lots of ways to enjoy bicycles. What? What does that mean? I don't know. Like, repairing them? Um, what got... <laughs> and what really gets me is they're like, oh, okay, you're right. We'll be the Manami Kamakura Girls Bicycle Club. The title of the show show is the cycling club exactly like so is that the name of the club or are they gonna change it later and if so why go through that um i don't know and then uh i love that the one like so uh fiona's grandma did give them one condition in order to get the key to the club room 
and it was that they would agree to commit to having many unique experiences. <laughs> it's like, who says no to that? It's like, nah. It's like, I, I just want to have one I experience. Don't know if I can handle that, Grandma. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm kind of a one experience person. <laughs> I don't want to have too many experiences. And what kind of other experiences are you talking about? Exactly. Like, I was assuming, like, you should have many experiences. For example, you should ride a race, and you should also go on a long... Oh, I don't want to use this phrase, but long ride together. And, like, you know, you should try to ride around Hokkaido, and you should, like, do some mountain biking. And, you you know, like, if she had said that, like, you should try different kinds of cycling. And they'd be like, okay. Then I'd be like, fine. But, uh, no, just right, to have no, many no. experiences. It's as non-specific as possible. All right. So. All right. Well, speaking of non-specific. Yeah, exactly. You want to go on to TQ? Yeah. So this week we are we watched uh, TQ season two, um, and uh, th- this season was uh, it built built on sort of like if the first season was there to introduce the core cast, this right. one introduced some secondary characters and also had some. Um, multi-episode arcs so you know i was shocked by that yeah such as they are so uh, a few few of my favorites uh they they introduced a new character kondo who is a journalist who um wrote an expose on the the uh tennis club because instead of actually playing tennis they were just playing tennis on n64 um (laughs) and uh then they had a a three episode training camp from hell episode uh in which they went to a uh like a hotel but instead of playing tennis they spent the whole time playing ping pong Um, right and uh konoe and momoe spent the entire time like going off a pun about how they thought that they were going instead of going to camp they were going to combine so they kept trying to combine into an ultimate form together (laughs) and it only ended up hurting their game yeah exactly um uh there was a really funny gag during that uh it was a funny animation gag which was uh with nasuno about how she had the smaller side oh yeah yeah, of the uh the about of the uh the ping pong table and uh, because the whole gag was supposed to be because they're making a gag about how you draw the ping pong table, about how you kind of, like, if you do an overhead shot, and, like, it, uh, you have to kind of, like, make it so that it sort of goes into the distance. Right. And But in, in reality, for hers, she just had a smaller side. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, um, I also like that they, at one point between ping pong matches, Momoi said, like, all right, we need to take a break for commercial. And they're like, wait, what? And then she pulled out the TQ manga and was like, you know, (laughs) hey, just so you know, volumes one through four are on sale now. (laughs) This is like an ongoing thing with TQ where they're very, you know, fourth wall breaky and acknowledge that they're just trying to sell their own merch in the show itself. Um, Yeah. uh, there was another gag during that episode as well. During this game, I kind of I got a kick out of uh, Kanoe eating her paddle, and then <laughs> when it came to uh, well, she bent take a took a bite out of it, and then when she sw- it ended up costing her the match because it was too short to actually reach the ball. Now, yeah, yeah, and it turned out the entire ping pong table was edible for some reason. Yeah, the uh, well, I don't think it was really edible. I think you know shoot. she just started eating wood. Right. The. Uh... I liked also in episode 17, so it was a three-episode arc, and in the last episode, they were talking amongst themselves, and um, Moe said, you know, some jokes are funnier the more times you repeat them. Just sort of trying to call out their own show. Of like, <laughs> you know, We're just going to keep making the same jokes until they're funny. Um, 
a couple other episodes that stuck out to me. Episode 19 had a, the sports fest. Um, yes. Which, uh, I don't, if you want to, you, you can jump in. If, what did you like about that one? Uh, well, there was just one, there was one that I think this was the hardest I actually laughed. It was such a non-joke, but I loved it. And it was the, uh, they were talking about, okay, now a word from the PTA. Uh, okay, now a word from... Well, yeah, the, yeah, because Colonel Sanders, uh, Nasano's father, Colonel Sanders, was oh, is the head of the PTA, and he was given an opportunity to make a speech, and his speech was, uh... <laughs> Which, yeah. uh, because he doesn't talk yeah, exactly because there's a great there's a great gag later on uh when they're when they're playing the game the playing the baseball game to reclaim their court uh and uh the baker from a previous episode gets injured because he's there as a batter he gets hit by the ball and he asks like will i get compensated leave and then uh, colonel sanders just shakes his head yeah so we could go on to that there was a two episode arc where the baseball team destroyed the tennis court and claimed it as their own and challenged the tennis team to a baseball right. game in order to, like, winner gets to keep the tennis court. And they were like, what? why would you destroy our tennis court? And they're like, it was youthful indiscretion. <laughs> or, like, you know, we just wanted to. Or, like, oh, it wasn't actually us. And they're like, you don't even know. You can't get your story straight. But they just insist anyway. Um, and so the... The the one thing that I mean there was a lot that stuck it, it was it was funny to see a baseball episode but uh, eventually you know the baseball team is dominating them because they're a baseball team so they're winning by a huge margin and then Nosno has Colonel Sanders call and hire a substitute baseball team so he ends up hiring a bunch of professional baseball players uh, but two like the two that they show off are actual professional baseball players. Um, what's funny about it, so, is that they're not, like, the most famous, you know, so if, (laughs) if, if I were making a show, you know, in Japan, and you were to hire a random professional baseball player, you would hire Ichiro Suzuki, who's, like, probably the best and most famous Japanese baseball player ever. Um, Right. So that would be the natural assumption, like, he's the, he's a person, he's a celebrity of such stature in Japan that everyone would recognize him. No, I mean, and it's an animated show. They could animate anyone they want. No, right. they don't go with that. They go with a, a guy named Suyoshi Shinjo. And I had to look him up because the, the show only sort of partially alludes to him, and I had to figure it out. Right, but, they censor out his name because they don't actually have the rights to do it. Yeah, exactly. So they show part of his name, but I was able to look it up. And so this guy, Suyoshi Shinjo, he played for two years in the United States in like 2002 and 2003. Um, he played for two separate teams. He did, like, okay, but he wasn't able to secure a long-time job, and then he came back and played in Japan for a while, and then he, like, got famous as uh, for, like, being on a game show and, like, being sort of like a TV on-air celebrity. So, like, he's not n- the most famous or even the most well-reputed baseball player. He's just sort of, like, a right. dude. Um, and then the second guy was an even less famous guy. It was a guy named Ryohei Kawamoto, who's a catcher for the, the Yakult Swallows, who aren't even that popular of a team. Right. <laughs> like he's, it's about he's, the Giants and the Tigers in Japan. Yeah, exactly. Like, those are the two most popular teams. He's for, like, a second-tier popularity team, and he's just sort of, like, a pretty good catcher in Japan. And that's it. So, like, of all the people <laughs> they could have animated, they just pick, like, some kind of third third order baseball players so I, I just thought it was funny that they they chose to pick <laughs> totally random guys um 
but uh, I mean, Colonel Sanders is rich. He's not that rich, though. Yeah, clearly. Um, uh, I did kind of appreciate it out at the end of that arc. They're like, no, we. Need, it's like we're trying to, you know, we're trying to get back to tennis court, so we're going to play you in a tennis match. They murder them with Apache helicopters. Yeah, exactly. They're like, well, yeah, and that's their idea of tennis is calling Apache helicopters to yeah, basically. Them. Um, so at the end end of the season, we get the introduction to uh, Tomarine, who is an alien who appears oh, yeah. to Momui and says she needs fuel for her ship. She fills up her ship with beer and then crashes it because beer isn't fuel and then disappears. <laughs> but um, I'm sure she'll come back in season three. Uh, and then it ends with uh, Yuri and Konoe getting invited to Kondo's udon shop which is actually a bowling alley where uh the gag is that instead of serving you udon they uh bowl udon at you and so it splashes you in the face um and the series ends with the japanese government having a huge argument over whether bowling udon should be illegal or not it's like (laughs) that's that's the way they want to end so uh I realize that we spent the most time discussing episode summaries for TQ of any of these, and none <laughs> none of the episodes make sense inherently. Nope. There's a lot of things we didn't cover. What do, do, overall did what did you think? Did you think anything uh, worked better in this one than the first season? I mean, I'm starting to get into it more now that I know the characters a little bit better. Now that there's something that's really infectious about the show that's kind of hard to put my finger on. I think it because it's like if this was like. This show is made by its running length of two minutes. Yeah. Really, it's an it's a minute and a half because the thirty seconds is spent in the opening. I counted. Yeah. Uh, but it's really just it's breakneck pacing because if they had, if they elongated any of these jokes any further than they did, they would not be funny. Oh yeah, no, it's just insanity. Um, so it's like you can't. It's hard to explain what's funny about it. It just has to be experienced. I think there's a series called uh, Hari and Goo, which is which has kind of very similar humor, but it takes place over the course of, uh, you know, it's kind of like a standard episode length. Mm-hmm. And that's a series like the first two, the first few episodes are hysterical, and then like as the series goes on, you're it kind of gets diminishing returns based off this type of humor, based on. But it's like this is a series that doesn't really give you time to let the punch like to let the punchline land yeah and i think that works in its favor because it's just so rapid fire that if there's one gag that doesn't work for you guess what they got another one in five seconds yeah i agree so no it was fun uh uh real quick i just want to bring up as well the second gag that got me the most was uh actually in the last episode of the season where uh the uh the special with ordering two bowls of uh the udon was getting two free glasses of water (laughs) Uh, Yuri comments, well, that's not really a deal. And then Kanoe goes and says, like, oh my god, the water's so good! <laughs> I, I, I laughed at that. That was... That and was... then I appreciated that six Settlers of Catan reference. Like, what anime references Settlers of Catan? Yeah, who knows. It was it was all over the place. It's, it's a good show. It's a good show. I, I could keep going with the gags here. There were a lot, but I'll just... I'll leave it at that. Yeah, no, I think that's all we got for this week. Um... But yeah, so as always, I appreciate your time and I appreciate your input, Matt. Oh, I'm always happy to help. Oh, well, good. Well, if you're happy to help, I would be happy if you helped me hit those credits. I will hopefully do so. (laughs) Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. 
You can follow Koshiencast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiencast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.